Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. everyone and welcome back to the blazers edge podcast it's been a minute we kind of took the summer off as everything developed with the blazers this year it has been a summer of change the way we have not seen since 2015 and speaking of 2015 here as a special guest (laughs) to talk about it with you and me is the ever effervescent uh always pleasant and insightful Danny Meringue. Now, Dan, we go way back. We were doing this before there was a this. And that's why I wanted to have you on is because, I mean, we were two to three years ahead of the curve, even in the serious trade talks. And we, Mm -hmm. we, we grew up together watching all this develop slowly and now it's come to fruition. So we're going to put a bow on it together. Just Man, I, I don't even know where to start, but let me just ask this question. Where are you right now with the trade a week old now, the fallout basically having happened? Just summarize how you are dealing with all this. In general, uh, you know, I, I wrote a long article detailing the process of all of this from kind of my standpoint. And what I didn't go into is kind of my own feelings about the whole situation and knowing the main actors, the main characters involved um, so well made this suck. Um, I did not throughout the entirety of almost 90 days report or break any news until basically in the last week um, when I had a lot of insights on things um, good and bad and kind of where things stood. And that was a new thing for me. And personally, as toxic as things got uh, between parties and um, obviously with now news of what else is going on around with Dame's family, um, all of this is like I've I've had to I've known about the stuff behind the behind the scenes and um, it sucks. The, that part of it sucks. The personal side of all of this, every every bit of it sucked. Um, but from a basketball standpoint, I'm glad, and I have talked about this for a very long time, that a decision was ultimately made one way or another for this organization, truly for the first time since 2015. Yeah, you know, just reflecting personally, that's an inversion, I think, for you and me, because... It used to be when we were talking about, and mostly it was C.J. McCollum, 
trade talk, but also there was some Damian Lillard trade talk, although that intensified after you had gone on to other things and I had other podcast partners, but still we had some of it. And every time we'd just get destroyed. Like, and personally, mm -hmm. it was okay for us to talk about that. I don't think you had any qualms. I didn't have any qualms. This is kind of just business uh, thought exercises and stuff. And personally, no effect. It was all right. And emotionally, we were okay with that. But professionally, we got hammered for that stuff, right? <laughs> we did, yes. And, and now <laughs> that it's actually happened, like, okay, like, professionally, everybody's okay. Like, I haven't seen a lot of fallout that's been like, this is a tragedy for the Blazers, or I hate this. Now, there was a lot of anticipatory grief because of the lag time between the trade request and the actual ex execution, and people got that out early. I get it. But there wasn't this big landslide of, oh, this is terrible, or, oh, we're going to miss Dame, or whatever. But personally, this sucks a lot more than we thought it, it would. So it's like the inversion is real. A hundred percent. And, and that part of it, and you know, the, the basketball side of things, like I have, look, and this, this is, this is Blazers fans in a nutshell, the greatest player or second greatest player, depending on how you look at things in your franchise's history is now gone. And yet somehow they're going to win seven more games this year than they did last year. That, like that's Blazers fans in a nutshell. And I just look at that and I go, you're insane. You're like, I, I get it. There's a, there's a process of, you know, of grief and how you deal with it. Um, this team is not going to be good and that's okay. That's entirely okay. They are going to be fun. And there are legitimate new whole, whole storylines that have not been there again, since 2015, since the Marcus Aldridge left the franchise. And on that side of things, it's fun. It's interesting, but the, you cannot excise someone like Damian Lillard just out of your life, even as a tangential Blazers fan. If you are a uh, died in the wool, just, you know, every dayer, it hurts. The, num the number of texts and DMs that I've received from fans of, I'm happy this is over, but this hurts. In some, some vein of that, uh, it feels like, you know, I'm losing a friend or a family member. Yeah, it's because he was in your home 100 times a night for 11 years. That's a lot. And so I don't expect people to just get over this quickly. But it, it's that's the reality of this business is that you do need to get over it quickly to be able to appreciate what's next. Well, and let's stop on that point for a second, because Damian Lillard has had unprecedented access and primacy in the consciousness of Trailblazers fans. Now, Clyde Drexler was the closest because he also spent, you know, 11, 12 years here, right? Mm -hmm. But Clyde had a lot of teammates and, uh, you know, a, a Hall of Famer coach when he was young. And so mm -hmm. it took him a, a little ways to get to be the Clyde, right? And really, he took hold the strongest right around 1990 and he was gone mm -hmm. in 1995 so and he was injured in 94 so there was like three years where he was the man but mm -hmm. no social media he wasn't very media what well, we say it's not that he was unfriendly but he was not was media charismatic sad. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he'd give a nice interview, you know, in it to win it, A. And there we go. And everybody picked it up and parroted it. But he did not have the social media access, the cachet with the public consciousness that Damian Lillard does. And Damian Lillard had really since moment one, because he came into the void that was left by Brandon Roy and Greg Oden going down. He mm -hmm. came in just after those hopes had died 
in that era, the shovel had just padded dirt on that. And it was, uh, you remember, I don't know that many Blazer fans remember, it was depressing. It was yes. terrible. And uh, all of a sudden, here's this kid who redoes the rookie of the year, right? And oh, Brandon Roy did this. Maybe we got another Brandon Roy. And then the Blazers go to the playoffs and then they make the second round and you're going, wait a minute, maybe better than Brandon Roy. And then we had another little death with Aldridge. And then they come back the next year and of course win 45 games and, you know, exceed predictions by somewhere between 15 and 20. And Lillard takes the microphone and it's like, this is my team. And it's like, well, all right, let's see what happens. And then you have this, this run of just media savvy and Gatorade and State Farm and national recognition, All-Star Game, All-Star Saturday, doing all the things. Rapping. The face of a shoe brand with Adidas. I mean, yeah, you name exactly. it, he did it. Showing up on ESPN all the time. Showing up. In, uh, so anyway, my point being, unprecedented, you know, uh, warming into the consciousness of Blazer fans to the point that you never hear Blazer Mania anymore, ever. I know it's old, but it was still existing mm -hmm. pre-Dame. You don't, I mean, you hear Rip City, but only as a description of the team. You don't hear people use that, you know, Rip City. Yeah, no, nobody's mm -hmm. cheering that anymore. Dame time. Dame time. Mm -hmm. Over and over. Literally his name, his brand became seamless with the franchise. So this is a transition and a loss in the popular consciousness Mm -hmm. of something that has not been experienced ever before in the same way. Yeah. And, and from a, from a media standpoint, you know, I wasn't in the locker room in the early years because of a general manager who hated my guts. Um, you too, huh? but <laughs> uh, I, I do have a longstanding relationship with Dame. And the one thing that I will say, I have, I've asked around, there is only one instance one instance that I know of that Damian Lillard did not step to the podium following a game in his entire career. One. It was at 840 something games between the regular season and playoffs once, once he had a bad night, he got pissed off. He didn't want to go up and he never did it again. That is not just different for the NBA. That is different for sports, good, bad, or otherwise him. He, he might be the most just get it guy in professional sports when it comes to the media. Always has been, probably always will be. It, it, there's just something about him and a general honestness and truthfulness that for a player of that magnitude, of that exposure, of that success rate, that we will probably not see again for a very long time. And there's something about that and that bond and being so familiar to fans and so accessible to employees and so accessible to literally everyone in his life. I, I posted a tweet of, of uh, after the trade of give me your favorite Damian Lillard memories. And there was a lot of point nines and there was a lot of waving goodbyes to Paul George and the Thunder. I would say a third of the responses were off the court stories about Damian Lillard helping somebody propose to their wife, uh, showing up at a hospital, showing up at a, at a barbecue, showing up and giving away shoes. Like there was, I mean, and I, I knew the list of this stuff, but for everybody else to see how embedded he was with this city, with this organization, with this culture, 
if you can't, you can excise Clyde out because he didn't have that stuff. Regardless of social media, he not, there's been no blazer that has dug his claws more into a community and, in, and embedded himself in the fabric of a franchise more than Dame. And that's why beyond the accolades, why he is that guy. Why he is constantly talked about as the greatest trailblazer of all time. Yeah, he didn't have finals visits. Yeah, he doesn't have a title like Walton. But Walton left in five years unceremoniously and didn't talk to the organization for two decades. Clyde left frustrated in a manner that, even in the non-social media era, was significantly more marred with uh, disdain than what Lillard left with. Everybody talked about how messy this got between Dame and the Blazers. It got messy, but it didn't get messy to the extent that Walton and Drexler did. That's, that's something I think that needs to be kind of reflected in all this, but it's, it's the entirety of Dane. It's not just the basketball. It's not just the off the court. It's not just the media stuff. It's all of it brought together. That is just, it is a truly unique thing to have him as a part of this organization. Well, and piggybacking on that, not to be too cynical, but there is a little, you know, his brand he mm-hmm. is a master at the Damian Lillard brand to the point where, again, oh, unquestionably, that brand arguably has become far more important than the Trailblazers brand. Clyde Drexler, when he left, was a Trailblazer. Mm-hmm. Bill Walton, when he left, was a Trailblazer. Mm-hmm. Damian Lillard is the Trailblazers. Yes. And he, uh, all of that that you're talking about, plus the description of his roots, plus the never losing the Weber State kind of small town, you know, loyalty, mm-hmm. underdog mentality. I'm just like you folks. I, I'm here with you. I want to win it here. Um, it, it is possible to make your stage bigger just by being on it. You don't have to move to a new stage, right? Down to the fact mm-hmm. that he ended up going to the Milwaukee Bucks, who is not the Miami Heat even, let alone the New York Knicks or Brooklyn Nets, right? That brand has never been equaled anywhere in the Northwest. I mean, it is. uh, And by the way, this is how he became who he became in Portland, Oregon. And prior to him, it was claimed that this could not be done. That in order to have a success, successful national brand, you had to be in L.A. or, you know, New York or somewhere flashy, Chicago. Mm-hmm. Okay, no, he did it in Portland. Now, he outgrew Portland stage, sure, but I have to think that there is at least some hope because he did this for whatever reasons and whatever, you know, whether he takes that success with him or not, that he has pioneered something that, yes, you can be relevant on an NBA team like this if you are good enough and if you are savvy enough. I, I whole, wholeheartedly agree. Damian Lillard is, is a brand that is not just ubiquitous with Portland, but is a global brand. This is a guy who almost every single year in the league in Portland had a top 10 selling jersey. He, again, he was the face, and is still remains the face of of Adidas basketball. I mean, again, you're talking about when you talk about underdog brands. Adidas is not Nike. Remember, you know, they, they tried to find is John Wall, is James Harden. No, it's Dame. Dame is the face of their brand. And you look at the players' shoes. It's Kobe's, it's Kyrie's, then it's Dame's. As far as players that wear uh, signature lines, 
Dame has a shoe like that that everybody wears in the league. Like, like you said, the 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 je ne sais quoi of of Dame is so huge that you can't escape it. And he did that in Portland of all places. Yeah, Under Armour. Remember, Under Armour made a serious push to become the next relevant brand, to become Pepsi to, to Nike's Coke, right? Protect this house. Yeah. And who, who, who'd they go to? They went to Steph Curry, right? MVP. Mm-hmm. Okay. They're nowhere close. And I'm not, that's no. not, you know, as a basketball player with accolades and stuff, Steph is higher than Dame. All right. Sure. But Dame, oh my gosh, Adidas and Dame? Is clearly, I mean, maybe not even number two. I mean, you, you, you don't mention. Look seriously. Do you mention LeBron as a shoe brand? Not more than Dame. You know, no. you you may, but certainly not. I mean, any conversation of top shoe people has got to include Damian Lillard in this generation. Again, as, you, as we said, which is again, it's just insane yeah. to think about in Portland. That's the thing about this is that. Him and his business partner, I should shout out Nate Jones here for for building a brand that just was became bigger than anywhere else. And I, I will tell you this: in in, in talks with Dame, um, it 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 kills him that he wasn't able to deliver it here. It genuinely does. Now, I, I, like I said, I wrote that article um, when he called me about a week before he demand the the, pub, the trade demand went public that it was basically, it was, it was over. And we talked for two, two and a half hours deep into the night. And we had a lot of those phone calls in the, in the first couple of weeks of throughout all of this, because he was, he was going through it. And I, I, he never said this, but I think he just wanted to talk to somebody who knew what his career was, who, who understood what he, what he had done and what he, what he felt like he meant to this city. And a lot of what we talked about was not the accolades, but the, the experiences, the memories, the ups and downs, the, you know, how the LaMarcus situation, the relationship between him and, and L.A. kind of went behind the scenes and how he would have done some things differently, how he wouldn't change other things. And, you know, the opportunities that he wished he had, had they done X, Y or Z and the opportunities that were denied to him because of other things and it was just understanding a a lot of what he truly was and what he truly means it was and is still one of the most impactful conversation in sports that i've ever had and those are the things that will resonate with me till the day i die like that those that group of conversations over a couple week weeks are the things that i will tell my kids about like that's that's the way he hit home for me. Yeah, and that in a lot of this, like, I, I, there's, there's there's just no way for me to put it into words. Yeah. So, I believe, I believe that everything that Damian Lillard said was genuine. And by the way, I believe this in a way that I don't believe quite the same way about Lamarcus Aldridge. Although I do think that I don't think Lamarcus was lying. But I think there was some PR uh, savvy and spin in some of the things that he said leading up to his departure in the years mm-hmm. prior, right? I, I don't mean, think they, that... they, they asked him to say, well, yeah, we know that. Part of the, you know, the greatest trailblazer. By the way, there are people to this day, we said that. We told people that. There are people to this day who don't believe that, right? Oh, Blazers, <laughs> it's lies, but yeah. All right. So, anyway, um, 
I believe that Dame really felt that his best destiny and his best past path forward was literally leading the Trailblazers to a championship. And mm-hmm. that's what he wanted to do if he could write the movie of his career. That's how 100%. he would have, have scripted it and no other direction. I think there might have been some naivete in a few ways. Mm-hmm. Understandably so, because uh, let's, let's say this too. Damian Lillard was the master of his ship and was mm-hmm. even before LaMarcus left, but really after. Damian Lillard wasn't in an echo chamber. Damian was the chamber. When Dame spoke, it was E.F. Hutton. Everybody listened. And there was mm-hmm. no counterbalance or no limit to what he could dream, right? And so I think that along with that comes a certain naivete, appropriately so, about whether it was possible given the way things were going, about how things were going, and, you know, various other things. So I'm not, I'm saying it's not that Dame was naive, it's that anybody would be in that situation where your voice is earnestly hopeful and there's not a lot of counterbalance to it, right? No, you're you're talking about one of the most earnest believers in his own brand and not that and I don't mean that in a negative connotation there there's a line I can't remember the exact quote but when he when they asked him early in his career was I'm gonna say year three year four maybe year five about being a general manager he said I can never do it and something kind of funny, but why he goes because if I was I would still have Sasha Pavlovich on this team and that was not a shot at Sasha Pavlovich or anything along those lines it was that he has unbridled loyalty of I can win literally with anyone. He did not go into seasons thinking, let's, let's take the Tony Snell, Cody Zeller year when everybody just laughed. Like that's, that's what, that's what Neil O'Shea brought back. Really? He looked at that and went, all right, I can work with this. I can make some, I I, I can get it done. I'm going to be better this year. I'm going to be even more special this year. I will take another step. I have it in. And that's not fake. He genuinely believed that he could find a way to elevate this team of elevate this franchise again, based on his own will and unlocking something in other in his guys. And there's just so few guys who genuinely believe that there is, he has a mutant like self-belief. Everybody at this level has got an ego. Everybody at this level believes they're the biggest, baddest dude on the block. That's not new. But there is a level of belief that rises to almost insanity with Damian Lillard. And I mean that in the most complimentary fashion. Like, there, I, I, I said, I, I, I wish I could be as petty as Damian Lillard. I'm an incredibly petty, petty human. I am a petty Olympics gold medalist. Damian Lillard wrote the book on be, being petty. And again, I mean that in a complimentary fashion. He will take anything. And I mean anything that could possibly be perceived as slight or doubt or disbelief. And he will pile those chips on his shoulders and then he will use that to motivate him and he will work and he will work and he will work and he will work. There are the number of times he has told me about player X, Y, and Z. This player is more talented than me. This player is more talented than me. This more player is more talented than me. This dude's one of the most talented dudes in the league. They're not successful because they don't believe and they don't work. And you, I, he would say that, and I'd sit back and I'd watch that player over the course of a couple of weeks, a couple of months, or go back and look at something, and, and then I'd ask around, and you'd hear that, yeah, they don't. They don't work like Dame. They don't work like Giannis. There's like probably eight guys in the league who have, I hate using this, but the Mamba mentality, the 
completely irrational level of work ethic. The kind of thing where you're just like, buddy, you need to take a break. And that's what helps a, you know, two and a half or two or three star prospect from Brookfield go to Weber State and become a top seven pick, top 75 players, and probably one of the, not even probably, one of the 10 best point guards to ever play the game. And that that's, that's what just kind of continues to make him so special. Granted. And I believe that all of that led up to the unfortunate juncture where maybe for the first time in his career, Dame could not over-deliver on what he designed. That he really did want to bring a title to Portland, but it became increasingly apparent after 2019 that the escalator was no longer going upward and in fact was sliding back. And his career was continuing onward. Now he, like Drexler, got better. But it was also a getting better uh, by rising above his team, like Clyde did, rather than carrying his team. And that's, that's a pretty good uh, indication that you're achieving separation. And it happens to those transcendent stars. And, uh, you know, Portland became that uh, booster rocket that you, you know, you used to get into the atmosphere, but drops right back into the ocean mm-hmm. as, as the capsule continues into outer space. Ooh, ah, punk. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and this, that blast of separation is what we experienced uh, in early July through this week. Now, we'll get to the trade and, and everything that came through it soon. But I think, honestly, this went about as well as it could have gone. And I know that there was mm-hmm. animosity, but there was always going to be. I mean, look at look yeah. at what we just described. A dream yeah. from an overdriven athlete with a certain amount of naivete and a huge commitment that didn't work out. I mean, he was going to be a little bit divided or crushed within himself, let alone with the organization, right? And this was never going to be a clean divorce. Mm-mm. And separation, you know, was was is always messy. Mm-hmm. But you know what? From Dame's point of view, he did get to go somewhere that matters uh, to play with people who, by the way, are of similar mindset. And you look at Giannis, he, there are stories about him and what a cool, nice, down-to-earth guy he is. And the two yes. of them are real tight. And Milwaukee is a championship organization. And they need Damian Lillard. Great. With Portland, there was some you know, pushing away. There was some drawing of boundaries that had not been drawn before because Dame was the brand. All right. But you know what? That's not a bad thing. The organization had to do that also. I mean, they had become kind of codependent. I I don't mean Dame was was bad, but there was an unhealthy codependency there with Dame is everything. Dame fixes everything. We are Dame. We want to keep Dame. Sometimes it's okay to tell your superstar no. Sometimes it's okay to say we are an organization who is going to outlive and outlast this player. And we love this player and respect this player, but we are not just this player. And Portland hadn't done that for a very, very long time. And I don't see anything that transpired over the last couple of weeks, up to and including Joe Cronin walking his own path and not cluing, 
Dame in. I, I get it. That was less than ideal in some ways, mm -hmm. but I think it would be better for Joe to do that based on what he thought was right for the organization. And then to be told, you know, you need to correct back a little bit. Then mm -hmm. for Joe to like go, well, I'm going to wring my hands and we can't really do this. And, and I don't know, what do we do without Dame? Yeah, I know. And that's why I chose the word excise because this, it, 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 you, you have to cut it off. It, this can't be something that's, you know, where there's still some remnant of Dame or the relationship during this process, because, and, you know, kind of getting into the, the process itself. And again, I went pretty deep into this in, in the, the write-up that I did on this is that the initial poisoning of the well with the only Miami situation. And I have talked to Dame about this ad nauseum from the jump. I thought it was a bad idea because I thought it was going to paint Portland into a corner and Dame being the boxer. I brought up the boxing analogy when I talked to him about this and I said, what happens when you put somebody in a corner, man, they either got to go through you or they're going to go around you. And I don't think they're going to go around you in this. And that's that start to this and i'm not blaming anybody i think that's just what happened is that portland felt like they were boxed in and they were put into a corner and that was the first step in a process that was going to get ugly no matter what the blazers could have cut dame and miami or dame and his agent aaron goodwin off immediately they, they could have cut them off out of all transactions right of the way and they, that could have been the thing that you know caused everything to shut down I think it was just the first shot came from Damian Lillard in his camp. Yeah, That's all it was. and it's an extension, I think, of the naivete. And by the way, mm -hmm. I think Aaron Goodwin uh, was complicit in this. That 100%. we are such a transcendent superstar that we can make a demand that is going to be met. And But you look back, I mean, even Kevin Durant, when he made his demand, A, was not that specific. And B, ended up walking it back for half a season before he got traded mm -hmm. to the Suns. This didn't even work for a guy who, I mean, God bless Dame, but KD is a bigger brand. KD is a, bigger a top player. 15 player of all time. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. That's, so, I and mean, it took the changing of ownership for the deal to happen. Exactly. So I think that that, that lack of uh, boundary, you know, the lack of whatever it is, uh, which comes from playing in Portland, by the way, because, you know, in L.A., you would have heard feedback all over the place, constant criticism, whatever. Portland is just like, oh, my gosh, we're lucky to be dating this person. Yay. OK, they're mm -hmm. 10. All right. Anyway, so I think that naivete exactly carried over into the Miami demand. And it's like, mm -hmm. OK, you can't really you're, you're playing cards that you don't really have. Right. And it's like, OK, you can bluff. But if they call your bluff, you got to show them and you got to get a new hand, which is all that happened here. Yeah, I, I would agree with that, that assessment entirely. And that was the, like I said, the kind of the, the first salvo and what was a Cold War process where um, we're not, you know, getting spy planes flying over Cuba, picking up the fueling of uh, the, the, the installation and fueling of missiles. But instead, it played out in the media between mouthpieces for uh Miami and Aaron Goodwin and the Portland Trailblazers and ESPN. And I think that was very, very, very present for people to see who was carrying what water and what narratives. And it's, it seemed to escalate every couple of weeks. And it, it was a looking back at it. 
I was down in Las Vegas at summer league when like, you know, right as this broke and I had, there wasn't a Dave, I say this wholeheartedly. There was not a writer down there that did not come up to me, a media member that did not come up to me and ask me about the situation and what I thought and just trying to get a feeling for where things were. And it was the same from essentially everyone except for media members from Miami who were telling people whole cloth that the deal was done. It was done. It was yeah. going to happen here in a few days. This is interesting too, though, because look, I mean, if there was some messiness at the end and it, yeah, it took a couple months in which we all had to process and all that stuff. But Portland, if you're going to have a trade demand, this is exactly the way for it to go down. My God, mm-hmm. Portland Trailblazers were on the lips of every media member in the NBA across the country for two solid months. And you know, Mm -hmm. 60 to 70% of them were speaking positively of the Blazers and rooting for them. And by Mm -hmm. the way, the way the trade went down, which again, we'll get to in a minute. I I mentioned this in writing. This is one of the only huge trades I can remember where it seemed like all teams involved were completely happy with it. And all media members across the board are going, yeah, everybody did all right. And especially, you know what? Portland did well. I Joe Cronin quit himself nicely. A, I haven't heard a single person. Now, we can quibble. We can argue about that, and we will. There are mm-hmm. pluses and minuses to the whole Portland got. But given the circumstances, they did great, and everybody is saying so. I mean, Portland, you stepped on the national stage. You were pitching, or you were batting against Randy Johnson, who was supposed to strike you out with three 100 miles an hour fastballs. You not only took him to a full count and fouled him off 17 times, mm-hmm. you hit at least a double, if not a homer, off of that last pitch. And everybody saw it. Yeah. People. You should celebrate even how this didn't go right or perfectly, because if it's not going to go perfectly and smoothly, this is exactly the way you want it to go bad. Without a doubt. And that's the thing is that uh, we talked about the, the, the um, Goodwin slash Lillard camp missteps in the process. Joe Cronin made missteps, whether it was the exit reviews or the initial statements after the trade request. I, I flagged the July 10th press conference in Las Vegas as the first time the Blazers wrestled the rope back of public opinion because they, they were getting their ass kicked, Dave, like they publicly, even, even the most staunch media member who was telling me like, it's still going to be Miami, like Portland can do whatever they want. And I, and I wish they, and I hope they don't in the sense of, because that package just isn't good enough. But even though, even those defenders, and I'm talking People who have been in this business, TV, print, whatever, for 40 years, who are like, in the end, that's how this stuff goes, you know? And it, and even those people, I got text messages after that press conference saying, well, maybe I'm wrong, you know? And it was one of those situations. And the narrative rope that kind of got, you know, tug of war the entire time through this process I thought basically from that July 10th press conference on Portland had the flag well over their end for the majority of time after that, regardless of the repeated attempts by Dame, uh, by Dame's camp. Right. And by the way, I, I don't think we're insulting Dame at all by saying this because Damian Lillard left 
Portland for Milwaukee with his brand completely intact. And they had tens of thousands of people to welcome him. The media is expecting him to help lift Milwaukee back to glory. He is 100% spotless in this, okay? They're the betting favorite for an NBA title. Exactly. He, his brand did not suffer a bit. No. It's just as big and will replay in a new place. He didn't mm -hmm. lose anything. But Portland, in kind of becoming the antagonist, also restored their own brand. Mm -hmm. And now, when people talk about the Blazers, the, nobody is saying, and this was the big uh, risk, that the Blazers would now forever or for the next generation be known as the team that couldn't keep Damian Lillard, the team that Lillard left, the team that couldn't Or the Lillard. team that lost Lillard for nothing. Exactly. No. They're, you know, when people speak of Portland, they're going, well, Damian Lillard's moved on now, but DeAndre Ayton, Scoot Henderson, let's see what happens. Nobody's thinking Portland's going to take over the world, but they're saying, you know what? All right. The Blazers are in integrity. a good place. Yeah, they're in a good place. They have a shot. They are, they have reset in a reasonable fashion. That was not, this was not the narrative when this trade request went down in July. No. It was the poor Blazers. They are stiffed at the party that the, the guy that they like just started going out with someone else and they're sitting there watching let's watch them get dumped uh-uh they're dancing so i mean again i think with the meta stuff of this and the media stuff of this and the reputation stuff of this both sides did really well despite missteps along the way i have been adamant throughout this process that if Joe Cronin were to take the Miami Heat offer, he would not be long for this 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 world as far as his NBA career. That he would have been Billy King and he would have been out of the league because when you fumble a deal of this magnitude, you cannot exist at that level. It's it's not allowed. And that he didn't is a testament and to the point that you said where everybody every team came out ahead in this in both public and private conversations that I've had with Joe. Um, there's, there's a thing that he has maintained from the jump about, about doing deals. He wants to be able to get done with the deal and have everybody feel like they accomplished the goals that they wanted to accomplish. And every team in this, you can say what you want about Phoenix. I, I'm throwing my hands up too. You can say what you want about Phoenix. Every team in this deal feels like they accomplished their goals that they were trying to attain. Yeah, Phoenix. and that would not and does not allow itself to happen between Portland and Miami. Phoenix wanted this though because Phoenix could only they get twenty five percent out of DeAndre Ayton, which made him not a star star, right? Mm -hmm. But Nurkic is not as good. They're going to find that out. So are we? But they got that depth of three or four players across the board who are really good because they just spent all their money on a huge top three that they are hoping to get hundred percent out of. So for this mm -hmm. moment, Phoenix did what they wanted for this moment. Milwaukee did what they wanted for this moment. Boston did what they wanted and Portland did too. And the only team that didn't get there is ironically enough, the Godfathers, the, the shiny celebrity, the Miami Heat, who are now left going, oh, damn. And whom the media is now roasting in poetic justice. What a judo move by Cronin and the Trailblazers. Okay, so we've talked about the meta portions of this. Now let's move on to the actual mechanics of the trade itself. First of all, I mean, any insight on 
exactly how this went down. People seem to be fascinated with this, probably because it was a left turn when people expected, you know, the right blinker was on. Uh, yeah, we don't want to spend too long on this, but anything you have to add about, like, the byplay, the interplay, the negotiations, or anything you know of, or find interest? Yes. So for me, I heard Milwaukee's name. If you go back to the radio show, I, I want to say... I said, there's going to be a deal done in the next 10 to 14 days. I, I very strongly anticipated it ended up being exactly 10 days. And I want to say the second or third day, I had multiple people tell me, keep your eye on Milwaukee. And I dismissed it. Like they're not going to put Drew in a deal because that's the one thing that they would need to put in this salary matching wise. And I'm like, and then the Blazers would then have to go move Drew. And it becomes this like multi-layered thing. And, and, if you're familiar with just kind of like NBA deal making, the more teams that are involved, the more pieces they're involved, the more process involved, the less likely they are to occur. So I completely dismissed Milwaukee entirely. I was like, I just like, it makes sense, but I just don't see them trading Drew and the Blazers making another move on top of that. On top, of that. I could see it like in a 2K sense, but not that part of it. But from the beginning, I was told that, you know, when everybody was doing the media blitz of Miami, 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 I was steadfast. They're not going to do that deal. They're not going to do that deal. They're not going to do that deal. When it came down to the wire, I got a call Friday night heading into that weekend because it sounded like the deal was going to get done that weekend. It ended up getting done on Tuesday, Wednesday. It sounded like it was going to get done Saturday or Sunday. And Toronto got super aggressive. Uh, I think Chris Haynes reported on it the other day, and I, I got this message right after it happened. OG Ananobi told Dame, welcome to Toronto. And it was a, uh, OG had no inside information. He was just reacting based on what was heard on social media. And he thought the deal was basically done. Um, I had heard as well that Toronto had ownership pushing Masai Ujiri to get this deal done. It was kind of, it's Toronto is heading down very much the same path as the trailblazers were over a couple of years ago of deciding which way they need to go with guys. They have multiple guys that are up obviously for contracts and, and they've got a young guy and Scotty Barnes, you know, the whole situation. Um, what I'm still in, unclear on is whether or not they, the, that the final offer included OG Ananobi or not. I have gotten mixed reviews. Most of them have said that he was not offered, that it was some version of Gary Trent Jr., Grady Dick, Precious Achua, um, necessary salaries in a pick and a swap, um, which nice, like a Grady, Grady Dick at a first and, you know, precious to chew. that's, that's, that's fine. Like it, that's, that's okay. But without OG and Anobi, it's kind of working as, an, as another piece to either keep or trade like the Blazers did with Drew Holiday. Then it doesn't, it doesn't add up as much. It's okay. It's not OG. Yes, correct. Um, I was also told that there were, I believe it was four teams submitted legitimate offers for Damian Lord, but it was all said and done. Um, so this idea that Miami was the only team, Miami was not in that, of course, um, that Miami was the only destination. They just needed one. And once they had one, they had two. Once they had two, they had three. Once they had three, they had four. It wasn't this huge swath of teams, but there was competition for offers when the final bell rang. And that, that should not get lost in this. That Joe and company kept the Milwaukee side of this thing quiet 
because they had to have done all their own exterior and interior research on the value of Drew Holiday without raising alarm bells, which means they had to know that it was essentially an arms race that they were dictating. They, they had to come back into the room after those calls with John Horse and the Milwaukee Bucks with Drew Holiday being firmly on the table. Okay, we get Drew. He's not a piece for us here. He's also 33 years old. We just sent the single best offensive guard in the NBA to the Milwaukee Bucks and made them title favorites. We hold the key to it, the one guy who was quite literally the, the Damian Lillard's kryptonite. That is going to be something that we can dictate with aggression to at least five teams in the NBA. And it ended up being a metric crap ton. I'm d- Dave, the majority of the league checked in on Drew Holiday when, when that deal went down. Because there was, there was no way that Drew Holiday was going to be on the market. No, nobody saw that coming. He, he may be the best two-way point guard in the NBA. Now, There's not, no may about it. Yeah, There's I no mean, may about it. He is. Right now, he is. You're talking about a guy who averaged 19 and seven, shot 48% from the field, 38% from the line, and is hands down the best point of attack defender in the NBA. I've talked, I can't even tell you how many guards I've talked to in the NBA when I ask them who the best, who's the guy that they hate playing. It's Drew Holiday, it's Drew Holiday, it's Drew Holiday. There have been two guys in the history of Damian Lode's career who bothered him. Pete Chris Paul, who made his life hell for five, six years of his career. And then over the last five, it's kind of waned as Chris Paul's gotten older. And Drew Holiday. Those two guys have just made life miserable for him. And now, if, if there is a mistake, I think there are a couple possible mistakes in this trade, or things can go wrong. Mm-hmm. This, I think, is number one. That Dame may not help them more than Drew did. And I don't mean mm-hmm. Dame is not a better player. I mean, you literally gave up a stellar guard who, mm-hmm. somewhat quietly, but for quietly doing it, he's pretty loud, does stuff to make your team win and obviously win a title. I mean, this is not yes. low-level winning. I know they lost in the first round last year, but they still had the best record in the league. And, mm-hmm. you know, and Chris Middleton, chronically injured and all that stuff. There were asterisks to that. Drew had his rough, rough moments in the yeah. playoffs. All those things are still true. Yes. But Dame may not be, may not be able to take them much farther than Drew did. Okay. And by the way, with the salary disparity, that would make this an L for Milwaukee down the road. But mm-hmm. so if there, and I'm not saying there is, I'm not saying that's true. But if you were looking with a microscope to dissect this and say, where are the cracks mm-hmm. in this deal? That might be number one. Okay. Anyway, keep going, please. But you look at this process and I thought Portland handled it masterfully because the second Drew got done, um, my phone went nuts. So I can only imagine what Joe Cronin's did. And everybody wanted to know what, what are they going to do with you? What are they going to do with you? I'm like, they're dealing it. There's a hundred percent chance that they're dealing him there. There is a 0% chance that they are keeping him for any period of time and let the bidding begin. And if you had any hopes of being a competitive team in the NBA this year, you called and checked on Drew holiday, whether it's the Kings, whether it's the Warriors, whether it's the Lakers, whether it's the, the heat, because they, they called and checked the 76ers, the Boston Celtics. I mean, you run the list of teams in the NBA who were remotely competitive. The Utah Jazz, they were debating in-house just how serious they wanted to get with this. Like, for all of the, like, well, the, no, they were, they wanted Drew badly. 
And when it was all said and done, there were five, six teams that put legitimate capital on the table. The Los Angeles Clippers, who are holding back two first-round picks right now for James Harden, were willing to give up two first-round picks for Drew Holiday. Yeah, they well, took and leveraged the Clippers deal against the Celtics because they wanted Time Lord. They wanted Robert Williams, a 25-year-old uh, defensive player of the year caliber big to reinforce DeAndre Ayton and give them the center depth that they have not had in 25 years. And look at the inversion here. We talked about one earlier, but look at this one. You went from a deal that supposedly had one and only one suitor mm-hmm. to, with this flip, then leveraged into a deal that had almost, not quite, but almost the same kind of uh, return potential. And everybody wanted it, right? Mm -hmm. So again, if you're looking at like subtle brilliance, this kind of weird kind of uh, judo-esque behavior by the trailblazers, first of all, step-laddering that, like, okay, we got Drew, but we're going to turn him. So that becomes, in essence, we're milking the cow twice now on this Dame deal, right? And uh, they, also our list of candidates, a list of people knocking at our, we're not going to people, people are knocking at our door and it's everybody. Not just mm-hmm. the heat. Ha, neener, neener, this is how you do it. it. And it was it was incredible, and they moved relatively quick. You know, the deal goes down on Wednesday, and then Drew gets moved on Sunday. You know, the, uh, I heard going into the weekend that things had been heating up, and teams were debating just how much capital they wanted to put in this. The initial offer that I was told was the Celtics put in Malcolm Brogdon, Al Horford, a first and a swap. And the Blazers shouldn't have taken that deal. 37-year-old Al Horford isn't doing any good. And they can't do the same thing that, that the Thunder did with him, which is kind of park him at home for a little while and then try to trade him down the line. That doesn't do the Blazers any good. Having a 37-year-old team when the average age of your team is 23, not helpful. Not helpful to anybody. So um, especially one from a guy who, you know, is playing for a team that is title aspirations. So that, that wouldn't have been a, a good position to be in. But they get to this spot where, you know, you get a haul, it ends up being DeAndre Ayton, Robert Williams, Malcolm Brogdon, two first, it should be three first round picks, two of which are unprotected in 2029. Milwaukee's is, is not only slightly, it's significantly more valuable. Dane will be 39. <laughs> He's not going to be in the NBA. His contract is gone. Um, Giannis will be the same age that Dame is now. And is he even going to be in Milwaukee? And I believe the stat is that the Milwaukee Bucks up until uh Giannis's fourth year in the they had been in the lottery six the top 10 in the lottery in 16 of 27 years and by the that, way that, that's that's just history because you don't have guys wanting to go to milwaukee right and Giannis's game is predicated on his hyper athleticism and i'm Which not will fade with he age. won't yeah he, he it's not saying he won't have it but uh, one injury uh or some erosion away from you know them being normal and I mean, seven foot, 280 pound dudes who beat the hell out of people for a living don't have any wear and tear into their early and mid thirties. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, and by the way, either of those picks can be used because Portland still has their own pick. So now that's three picks. You've got to believe that some of those can be used for trading capital down the road. So the fruits, yes. this trade is likely to keep on giving, not to mention the pick swaps, which also count. And if mm-hmm. something goes really south in Milwaukee, those are unprotected pick swaps as well. Yeah, you, you control a Milwaukee draft for three years, essentially. Um, and this is also it doesn't account for Malcolm Brogdon's return. Malcolm Brogdon is a guy who I know of multiple teams have checked in. And while the Blazers, I don't believe are in any hurry to move him, I don't think that they're going to hold 
hold him until the trade deadline either. Um, there's been talk about out of camp about, you know, that they're excited to have him and they're going to lean on him and all those things. I'll believe that when I see it, because there's a hundred or there's 96 minutes between the one and the two position and between Scoot, Shaden and Anthony, either those minutes are gone. Like between the three of them, if you give them each, each of them 33 minutes, there's your minutes. Like they're gone. All right. So, um, you, you give Shaden five or six minutes at the three and you know, that's, that's all you can do. So trying to shoehorn Malcolm Brogdon in for 25 minutes a night is just, I don't, something is, I don't, I don't see that it's something that can work. Yeah. But you know what? As you said before, no one will replace Dame ever or his leadership or we're not even beginning to talk about that. But if you want steady guys who are good to have on your team for the culture and the locker room, Malcolm Brogdon's not a bad guy. I mean, he he is uh, he's going to be helpful. I think he mm-hmm. knows the sco- score. I think it's the same way Drew was. You know, Drew that had yeah, that uh, report afterward. Hey, you know, I, I thank you, Joe Cronin. Love what you did. Thanks for communicating. Very good. And I think funny enough, yeah. there isn't a team in the NBA outside of the Miami Heat who have ever mentioned public dealings with the Portland Trailblazers, Joe Cronin, as being toxic or unmanageable. Now you had the. Um, reputational shots fired by the golden state warriors over the Gary Payton, the second stuff. Um, but that was not an issue of dealing with Joe Cronin. That was just uh, outlandish and bold lies told by a, a warriors organization to water carrying individuals in uh, Slater and, and Shamstrania. Actually, that's very interesting because this connection has not been drawn, but how much did that incident, that black eye, by the way, and Cronin having to hunker down and like, okay, say what you want. We're just going to keep quiet and do our job and get through this. And they did. How much did that prepare him for this, right? This was not his first dance. It wasn't even his first dance this year. Like, okay, mm-hmm. what are you going to say? Yeah, we're used to lies. We've, we've, this is part of the process. Fine. We're going to hunker down. We're going to do what we need to do. So that's brilliant. And the glamour franchises and the warriors and the heat thought that they could stick it to Portland and mandate. Yep. And they both franchises in both places lost on in the end. You took a swing at that mailbox with your baseball bat and it had a brick in it. So, I mean, had that, had that concrete in there. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, take your stinging hands home, put some Ben Gay on mm-hmm. them, come back tomorrow. Maybe we can talk. But uh, so, yeah, I mean, they get Brogdon's not a bad kid. There's nothing wrong. There's zero things wrong with him. Keep him or trade him. They'll probably trade mm-hmm. him. Williams is the guy they wanted. Right. Uh, Aiton is Very the guy so. they wanted. And let's let's take mm-hmm. a time out here, because had they just gotten those three players for Dame and a pig or something, you wouldn't have screamed given the where the, the air around appear everything. to be. Right. Like, OK, wait, mm-hmm. DeAndre Aiton, that's that's a guy they want if they want him. Now, I'm not saying you have to want him, but if you presume the Blazers wanting it, wanted him, getting him as the primary return for Dame answers itself. You're like, going, okay, you swapped a, a, a older point guard for a younger center. You gave away more talent than you got, but still, I see why you did it. Cause you've got height, rarity of position and youth and you did good Portland and the little decoration just cements the difference. They did so much more than that. They got those three mm-hmm. players. You guys just say two unprotected picks, two unprotected pick swaps, another first rounder. What? I mean, and what? Like, let's, let's rewind back to the, to the beginning with Dame's trade demand. Like, what is Portland going to ask? Everybody's going, well, they want a young player, right? And they'll want a bunch of draft picks. They mm-hmm. got that. They got all of it. Yeah. They leveraged. I mean, it's five picks that they got. The, dr- and the drum that I beat. Aiden. That part. The drum that I beat that 
I try. I put this out on on social media across the board, and I tried to tell this to Miami Heat fans. If if you want to get a deal done with Portland, regardless of them not being willing to work with you right now, you want to do the legwork. Spend time canvassing the market and getting an under twenty five year old or twenty five and under um, blue chip prospect, particularly in the front court. Hint hint. Wink wink. Go get a damn big. And I mentioned DeAndre Ayton and I married, uh, married, and I mentioned um, Jared Allen in Cleveland, both of whom were very gettable. And once you got past that stage, it was about adding capital onto the deal. And I said, if you can go get one of those guys and give Portland the three picks and a couple project players alongside it, swaps, whatever, I think you're probably going to get a deal done. Let's go farther. You got five picks. I mean, you got three picks outright and two swaps, four mm-hmm. of which are unprotected for Damian Lillard. And you mm-hmm. took back cap filler. People would go, that's all right. People would have gone, okay, I see what you're doing. You know, there, there are potential flaws in that. They might not work out. But you know what? If that's what you wanted, if you wanted those draft picks, you did all right getting five and four unprotected and late enough to where they could be lottery picks. Good job, Portland. They literally mm-hmm. did both. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. They, got, they got two centers. <laughs> that they want to keep and the five picks what you okay one from column a one from column b nah i'll take it all yes sir coming right up okay that first of all that's the platinum card you had coming to the table with damian lillard i get it yes but you weren't sure if the restaurant took that card everybody's Mm -hmm. telling you they what they don't take discover here oh Mm -hmm. yeah i think they do when they see the color of this card and darn if it didn't work out and the other part of this that I find interesting in that, speaking of going back in time, there is something that, that I lamented to you from the time we started doing this podcast. Um, the Portland Trailblazers in the entire era that I have covered them, which is Dame's rookie year on, have been among the least athletic teams in the NBA every year. And over the past couple of years, the least athletic team in the NBA by a significant margin. Below the rim, no transition, no really high level athletes. Obviously, they add Anthony, who's a different kind of level, a different kind of high level athlete, and then getting Shaden and now Scoot. You go up and down this roster. Who's the worst athlete on this team? Like it's hard to identify because they're so. They they had two players over six nine last year, and I believe the count now is ten, or excuse me, six eight. Yeah, they're I mean, significantly bigger. They're significantly more athletic. They have completely redone this team in the image of Joe Cronin, Chauncey Billups, and, and Cronin's staff. It is a departure, not only from the Lillard era, but a style that is completely different from what they will have going forward. Yeah, uh, this is like uh, I mentioned. Now, we don't have the talent level, probably, because you're talking about one of the greatest talent title waves in the history of the franchise. Yes. But when Jerome Kersey and Clyde Drexler were young, right, and even before the Buck Williams thing, that kind of vibe, like we're going to run it. You remember the poster actually after they got Buck? It just. Oh, said, no. Uh oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh oh, sorry. Not whatever oh, no. it was. Yeah. And, and it's like, okay, that's this. Now, they're young. They're young puppies. They're not going to, the rest of the league's going to let them charge at the red cape and go, yeah, okay, we'll take the win mm-hmm. anyway. But you know what? There's going to be some thunder coming down 
that court. And you're not going to be able to blink. And there are going to be some nights, Blazers fans, when opponents kind of take a night off, when you're going to see this team rumble. And it's oh, they're going to go out to departure the night before, have a few drinks on a rooftop bar, maybe have too much wine in Nostrana, and then stumble in there and get the crap kicked out of them. Yeah. Welcome uh, to your hangover. That's going to be yes. the Your headache. <laughs> and uh, I love... I love DeAndre Ayton's line about his first practice with Scoot Henderson. I'm sorry, not DeAndre Ayton, uh, Robert Williams. That mf is fast. That's what it said right out of the gate. And this is a guy who's playing with Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, like high-level NBA athletes on a nightly basis in the NBA Finals. And he looks at Scoot right away and goes, oh, that's a little different. Yeah, well, and you saw it in Summer League instantly, instantly. It was like a linebacker who could change directions. Now, look, we got to mute this because he doesn't have a shot yet. I mean, he has a, his pull-up. But you know what? They're going to make yes. him shoot threes. He's gonna, oh, there's going to be an adjustment period. They are going to crowd him and clog his passing lanes like nobody They're going to under every pick and roll. I have tried, Dave, I have tried everything I can to mute, to downplay the Scoot Henderson year. And I asked the question at media day. You know you are joining a, a group of, of guards in the NBA. You were the 24th teenage point guard in NBA history. There have been three to average 15 and five in their rookie year. It's Stephon Marbury, it's Kyrie Irving, it's LaMelo Ball. Each one of those guys had a very, very, very unique skill set. Kyrie's maybe the best ball handler of all time, one of the probably the 10 best shooters. Stephon Marbury is one of the quickest guards we've ever seen in this game, could get anywhere he wanted to. LaMelo Ball is a six foot eight passing savant that could do things you could never see. Scoot Henderson does not have those things. He has something different. And for him to go out there and give you 15 and five, that's going to be tough. Well, but I could yeah. very easily see him doing like 13 and eight and being a different version of that. Or he could, he might give you 16 and five or 16 and six, but his shooting percentage is really low. And here's the thing. Oh, going to be low. Yeah. Here's the thing is that he also doesn't have shooters around him. Right. Uh, and, you know, he ant can do it. But, you know, mm -hmm. is Ant going to want to stand in the corner for Scoot? I don't know, right? Yeah. Jeremy Grant's game is, he, he's an absolutely fantastic three-point shooter. But again, he needs to have the ball a little bit. And, mm -hmm. and you're not going to just be able to send those guys Nicola Batum style off to the corner and say, stand there, okay? Yeah. So what's going to happen functionally is Scoot's not going to have shooters to pass to. which That's, means That court's going to shrink. Defenses are going to collapse on him more. Mm -hmm. So it's going uh, to be a very interesting learning curve for him. So we're not going to see the fruits of Scoot for a while. That said, look, this team, there's nothing to be angry about because no. you got Scoot and you got DeAndre, who are your pillars. Maybe you say Williams as well. Okay. Uh, Jeremy, maybe stays, maybe traded. You're good either way. Anthony Simons, maybe stays, maybe traded. You're good either way. By the way, Shaden Sharp, maybe stays, maybe is traded. You're good either way. You cannot lose with any of those three, okay? And you've also got draft picks coming up, your own, mm -hmm. which are going to be lottery picks for a year or two, probably. Fine. Add more talent. Also, you've got that haul of picks coming at the end of the decade just when these players are hitting their prime. Right when I mean, you need to have cheap players yeah. around guys, or you need well, to make Aiden's a move. Well, Aiden's going to be thirty when those mm -hmm. picks hit, and he's the old guy. 
right? Assuming yeah. they trade Grant before that. As, same with Anthony Simons. At worst, they're 30, which means they got three or four years left of good serviceable basketball as long as they're healthy. Then you've got this generation, you got Scoot coming up and Shaden coming up if he stays. They're going to be like 26 you know, okay, 25. You're good. You're, they're right about to end entering their prime. the beginning of your prime. So yeah. you got guys at the, at the top of their prime, guys who are entering their prime, and potential four draft picks that could be lottery picks joining them. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with this. You are, no. you are absolutely set. It is a brilliant staggering of resources. What could go wrong? Those lottery picks don't pay out. At payout, you're not able to make the swaps. They don't matter. At worst, that turns out neutral, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but you have the potential for this to turn out really, really well. Look, the Blazers, I'm, I have a hard time imagining giving the situation how they could have done better. And you know what? I'll whisper a secret. Had they gotten that player from Brooklyn that they coveted, I'm not sure it would have been that much better for them than this because that would have been the only player they got or maybe they would have had to send draft capital back. Right. I, I think that they actually, in terms of flexibility, in terms of future resources, and by the way, they saved money <laughs> in the deal. They did. They got yes. younger. They got more draft picks. They saved money. The only thing they did is they lost Damian Lillard, which, as we talked about, was significant. But realistically, the clock was running out on that anyway. Yeah. I failed to see the problem. Yeah, by by math, they have approximately seven point four million away from the luxury tax, which in the NBA is an infinite amount of room. Considering we saw them at one point in time two years ago, I want to say thirty six thousand dollars away from the luxury tax, if I remember right. It was incredibly close. It was one of those things where if an unlikely bonus hit, you were like, they may be in the tax <laughs> kind of situation. Exactly. So, and that's not even counting future. I mean, yeah, they, they saved a mint. They saved like, what was $125 million or something like that in their mm-hmm. future payouts. And that's before they traded Drew. I haven't, well, we got to wait till they move Brogdon on this, right? Uh, to see yes. what the final financials turn out like. But they, they don't have a ton of, ton of money committed anywhere long-term. There is a non-zero chance that they could end up being able to sign free agents somewhere in the middle of this. Which is insane when you think about it, because you have, what is it, six rookies on the roster or six six guys on rookie scale deals? Yeah. So it, it, it is going to be interesting to see how this plays out. And that's, again, when I talked about in the very beginning, the the questions that you have is that we aren't wondering, can Damian Lillard backpack this franchise anymore? It's who's going to carry the backpack. And I know everybody's immediate answer is Scoot. Everything that I'm hearing right now is it's Anthony Simons that he's killing it at camp, that he is taking under that leadership role, Scoot might take that mantle in much the same way that Damian Lillard did after LaMarcus left. Dame was not the guy until that third year, and Dame was 24-25. Scoot is 19 years old. It is incredibly hard. He's a child. He is a child in the NBA. It is incredibly hard, no matter how good you are, to be a leader of a franchise as a teenager, the times we've seen that happen starts with LeBron and ends with James. That's the list. You can't lead it. Kyrie Irving was a, was a, a teenage point guard who was very successful his rookie year. The Cavs sucked. They were awful. He wasn't a leader. He wasn't their guy. He became the, a, a fantastic second fiddle or second banana in the case of LaMarcus Aldridge. Yeah. 
exactly. down the stretch there. Right. And it's going, it's going to be a slow transitionary period. But can Scoot get there? Absolutely. But well, the fact that you have a guy like Ant and you have a guy like Aiton and you have a guy like Jeremy that you can lean on for your young guys in Ant and Sh- Ant, or excuse me, as in Scoot and Shaden, it's a good place to be. Exactly. And again, let's reiterate this. If Anthony Simons plays himself into incredible trade value, the Blazers will go for it. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not. I mean, he may stay. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying they will try. But you literally cannot lose here. And if you know, no. if he slots in beside Scoot, perfect. If he there's a little conflict there, and you need to trade Simons, perfect. If Simons really excels and outshines Scoot. Perfect. I mean, that's a, you, you have no, this franchise went from before this setup to kind of a no win scenario. No, you know, you were not going to be bad. It's never bad having Dame, but you grow old with him and you kind of suck or you trade him and then you really lose out to right now. There's not much that can go that wrong other than you understand you're going to lose some in the short term, which, by the way, time out perspective, what have they been doing the last two years? They've literally had two lottery picks in a row because they were tanking because they ascertained that they could not win. That hasn't changed. That's not going to plummet. That's just going to grow from where it is to hopefully where they want it to be, slower than you want it. But it's not like you gave up. This is not the 95 Drexler trade where you go, this franchise has to control alt delete. It's not the Bill Walton entry where you go, we just lost a championship dynasty. It's, well, we stunk. Now we're going to stink a little bit, but we're going to be a lot younger. At least there'll be a legitimate reason instead of tanking. And you know what? The seeds for the future are pretty bright. Look, the season gets underway in less than a week with a preseason game against the New Zealand Breakers. It was a Tuesday night. You've got Fan Fest on Sunday. And I'll call my shot right now. With Anthony Simons leading the offense, he's going to put up 26 and 6 or better. He's going to put up numbers and you're going to go, oh, oh, they're only going to win 28 games. But he's going to put up numbers where you're going to talk yourself into is, is Anthony Simons, does he deserve to make an all-star game? Because they, they have good players. They're just steps away. But the, I'm very interested in this, Dave, because we have not seen this in my adult life where the Blazers hit a hard reset. They quasi reset with the Roy Aldridge years after the jail Blazers. It wasn't like a, an active reset as much as it was a departure from the past. Well, yeah, I would argue that that was a harder reset than this, but it wasn't, a, it wasn't a choice. I mean, yes, exactly. They had, like, to, it, they had to fumigate and then it's like, oh gosh, yes. what do we do? And then, well, draft picks, obviously, because it's literally your only option. Okay. Yes. So this was a harder break, but also an involuntary one. Yes. This one, there were roads where they actually chose now to reset in this one. And that's what's going to be interesting about this is how, when was the last time this fan base was faced with this? Where a team, it's going to be fun, but they're, they're, going to, they're going to lose a lot of games. They're going to lose 50 plus games. And how does this fan base handle it? How do they react? I think it's going to be easy in, in October, November, December. January gets a little bit more difficult. February gets a lot harder. March, you know, how can, can they sustain? Are, are fans willing to to not, not put up with, are they willing to commit to this for two years? Because that's what this is. There's going to be two years of this. As much as you can feel good about the return for Damian Lillard, there's going to be a Damian Lillard-sized hole that no one is ever going to be able to fill. 
what you will fans be able to get to the part where it's a Scoot Henderson sized hole or an Anthony Simons or a DeAndre Ayton that you can truly get behind in a matter of years. You know what this is uh, for the fan base, and I want to hit this lightly because of Dame's situation. But this is like you were middle aged and found yourself suddenly single. Now you don't have mm-hmm. Dame. You're suddenly single. But you know what? That club's open, and you can still party. And you're mm-hmm. going to go down, you're going to feel the bass in your chest, and you're going to drink too much, and it's not going to be good for you. <laughs> you're going to lose 50. You can't sustain this. This is you. Okay, old man, you need to chill out. But you know what? In the meantime, if you can't get fun back, it's going to be fun. Exactly. You know? And that, that's... Okay, credit, Joe Cronin. You open up the club, you have a DJ, and the drinks are flowing. I mean, let's... You got the, you got the black card on deck. Let's, <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> and then, uh, you know what? In a couple years, when we've got this out of our system, maybe we'll be ready relationally to talk about, okay, time... This team can make a run at the playoffs, and if... Time they, to get serious. If they can, then it soon will become... This team can make a run at the playoffs, and look at all these draft picks coming up that we Mm -hmm. can either use to restock with incredible players or trade for the veterans we need to put ourselves over the top so that next time we become Milwaukee or Boston and someone else is taking those picks in order to make us championship contenders. Mm -hmm. Interesting scenario. Uh, Dan, we're almost out of time here. So any last words uh, that you want to offer? Um, like I said, I, I, not to just plug it, but if, if you want to read my thoughts on this entire process, it's 5,000 words of why that doesn't have to, have to be a bad guy in this. It's free and unlocked on my Patreon for everybody to read. You can uh, search Jack Ramsey's Patreon or go to my Twitter page and it'll, it'll be there pinned to the top. Um, just not necessarily even just insight, just my view from this entire process. And I think uh, I, I did my best to be as fair to every party concerned. Um, it was not... Um, as some other journalists have painted it from one side or another, um, but also just emotionally kind of where I was throughout this entire process and kind of give a little bit of insight into this. And um, th- to be honest, it's the hardest thing I've ever, ha- I've ever written. And it's it, like, and I, I, I genuinely mean that. And um, so it's a relationship like that with Dame is it's rare in this world. Um, and to kind of go through that, knowing everything is it it was it was interesting so i, I just say just uh, give that a, a minute to read and or 20 because i wrote a lot <laughs> yep. as you know dave i am i am prone to be long-winded so and catch dan um, on the jack ramsey's on the regular uh we will be back as well uh semi on the regular as the season starts so you can find us here uh for danny Morang, i'm dave decker thank you for being with us and bon voyage dame wish all the best all the Indeed. best and thank you for everything from an entire generation of trailblazers fans who have never experienced anything like you uh welcome to scoot henderson deandre ayton and company and uh, we'll be excited to see what the next era brings. <laughs>